0: Well, good morning, Open Door. Oh, man, it's good to say that again to you. I'm John Lynch, and I get to preach this morning, and I am so excited. I'm going to say like everybody else does, how I miss you, how we miss you. Gosh, I know this room, at least I know it for first service. I don't know who they're letting in second service usually, but first service, like I I walk around the room every morning like I'm, Running for office, like like I'm the pastor emeritus or something. And so I know who's here and, and how much I miss them. Bill and Grace are over there. I can't look over there because he's always writing things down when I'm giving a message. Um, John Boring's here. John. Uh, uh, Terry and Patty Holine are over here. Buzzcar, David Good's in there somewhere. Dennis and Cindy are back there, the Martins. Except Dennis gets up like two or three times during the message. He can't stay seated. He always says, your messages are too long, John. Even when I went 15 minutes. Really, don't tell him that I said that. Anyway, uh, there's a guy over here who I... He's come a couple times. He fell asleep during one of my messages. I, I don't miss him. But um, open door. It will be so good to be back, you guys. So next week, you're going to be back, and I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be in Houston speaking, and I'll miss. I'll miss getting to be here. But I, I hope we get to do this for a long time in person again. Thank you for all this time that you've been so patient in doing community, sometimes online. Well, I wanted to, Caleb is, is preparing his message on Hosea, his series on Hosea, and uh, I said, do you, would you like me to help? I could do a message. And he said, yeah, yeah. So I, I've been wanting to give this message. And so in the series of Stuck, it fits so well in my mind. Stuck in doubt what do i mean do, do you feel it do you see it in others do you experience it yourself like listlessness a sense of loss of vision or direction or passion you there's a disinterest or boredom or even an irrational agitation or irrational overreaction to the political climate. Where's that coming from? I mean, there's a lot, lot of reasons for them, right? Global setbacks, like setbacks of the century, and there are about nine of them. Cicadas, we got the cicada every seven year issue. The hornets, when they come, game over. I don't know where they are right now, but when the hornets show up, that's when I go underground. Issues that make no sense by the dozens. Personal dreams that now can seem crippled. Loss as a country, as a world, and individually that seems like it's irreparable. It seems like we're never going to be the same and and we'll never be able to recover. Uh, And then polarized. Distanced relationships—that—that that saddens me like no other. And maybe you've noticed—I have—that we're in now that season. It was like we were in a season of shock. Where okay, we can just do this. We're going to do this. We got this. We got this. But now shock is wearing off. That anesthesia is wearing off, and we're discovering that we're feeling something really unsettling like like we're asking questions that are not comfortable to ask God what is happening God when will you stop this God I didn't think you'd allow this God I feel I, I feel like are you taking care of me God I I've been praying, but it doesn't seem like anything happens. God, how am I going to keep doing what's in front of me? I don't see a path forward. God, can you keep my faith alive? Experiencing what we thought could never or would never happen can cause us to question some of what we believed or had been taught about the way God daily engages with our experience. It, it, it's not like we're not doubting God is real or good or sovereign, but what we maybe have come to believe some errant presumptions about how faith and life in Christ works, and now those no longer, some of them seem to square with our reality. Why does God allow evil to prevail so long? Why has the faith community gone at each other? What happened to my dreams? What do I tell my children about what is allowed on this planet? Why do my prayers seem like they make things worse? Why can't I get above the chaos to bring blessings? Why do some thrive in this season and others suffer? So here it is. Errant, untested, presumptive conjecture. It's getting exposed. And now this one way of seeing is is momentarily becoming two. And there's a word for that. A biblical and a regular day uses words. It's called doubt. Now, I, I I want to right away clarify a difference between doubt and unbelief. Unbelief and doubt. There's a huge wide chasm, biblically, between what unbelief is and what doubt is. Unbelief is. It's um, even though sometimes it can be used where. Uh, like the one says to Jesus, I believe, uh, help my unbelief. Uh, But usually, it is used of a willful refusal to believe or a deliberate decision to disobey. It's a state of mind closed against God. It's an attitude of heart which disobeys God as much as it disbelieves the truth. That's unbelief. Now doubt That's an interesting word, just the the derivation of it. Do do you know that it literally means to duplicate? And so then when you extrapolate that out into a human, uh, it means to carry the idea of being in two minds, to be at dissonance with oneself. Doubt is not the opposite of faith, nor is it the same as unbelief. I love what Oz Guinness says. Oz Guinness, one of the great thinkers of last century and this century. Doubt is a state of mind in suspension between faith and unbelief. So that it is neither of them wholly and it is each of them only partly. I think that's really good. And then Guinness says, I think a great statement about doubt. Doubt is faith in two minds, temporarily in two minds. And so I just want to say real quickly and clearly, I think the reason why I gave this message or prepared this message is for those of you who fear, who may be in doubt. You are not alone. You're not crazy. And you are not betraying God or your faith. If you find yourself, especially in this season, experiencing some doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. There's also a big difference between uh, settled doubt versus uh, temporary or what I would call situational doubt. I think doubt scares us so much because of what's said in James. You know, James talks about the the, the one who doubts is like this r- wild waves flipping about and out of control, a person in two minds and they're not to be trusted, they're divided, they're a mess. And so we go, I don't, I don't ever want to doubt. But if you look at that passage, it is... Um, the word "doubt" is used in the present tense as a as a middle participle. I don't know why I said the thing about middle participle no nobody but Stuart cares but but it's present tense, and that means it's ongoing it's continual it's settled it's a state of being so James is denouncing a lifestyle of intentionally giving yourself permission to stay in two minds yeah well i I hold this, but I've always got this over here just in case. So I'm holding on to two. I, and James says, that's just unstable. That's kooky. Don't live there. But there is temporary doubt that quickly can get resolved. So I realized, going back to the start of what we were saying, When long-held beliefs get challenged, you know what I do? I find myself tucking away, protecting from risking vulnerability. I've done it in this season sometimes. Um, I I feel disloyal to admit it, so I don't directly address it. Now listen to this. Instead, I allow myself to get preoccupied with things other than the abundant delight of living for his will. And nobody sees it. And nobody but I know it. And God. And then I begin to move into each day with less passion, less fervency, less joy. I'm not going to get hurt again. I'm just going to pull back a little bit in the safety of self-protection. And God knows it. And he adores me so much that he confronts it. I remember in seminary. So here I am a brand new believer. Um, I've, I've I've gone to seminary. I'm, maybe I'm two semesters in. And at some point, I'm in some class, and I know that he was in the ground, buried two and, two and a half days, and and then the Bible says it was three days, and I'm going, what? Wait, it it can't argue with itself. Is the Bible not true? Is it? Did I give my entire life? Did I give my entire? Did I come over here and lose my friends and give my last money to come to seminary with a bunch of people that are so unfamiliar to me and the Bible isn't reliable? And two minds start going, No, no, no way. I know he's true. I know he, Whoa, 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 what's this? And I walked around. Nobody knew. I didn't tell anybody. But for maybe three months, I struggled with that. I didn't know where to find answers. And each day was less passionate, less joyful, less fulfilling, less intimate with my God. Huh? So strict. Uh, one day I'm I'm doing I'm in Matthew. I'm reading a commentary by John Broadus, and in there it just happens to say I'm just reading along for something else, and it says. And of course, in the Jewish mind, any part of a day was considered an entire day. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? In a a moment, God said, hey, John, it's okay. You can trust me. You can trust my word. Come on back home. There is a value to doubt. Amongst the things that are good about doubt, it, it can be used to detect error. Doubt can be used to reveal error disguised as truth. I remember a, a, a young believer who I was in his life, at, and I remember him coming to me and saying, John, I I have been trying so much to believe this faith, but it doesn't seem to match with science. Like, like the earth, like they, they keep saying... It's millions and billions and billions and billions of years old and and, uh, evolution is the deal and I don't don't know what to think. And I said, well, relax. If it turns out to be a really old earth, you're still okay. (laughs) You'll be all right. But what if? What if uh, God in having to have humans live on a planet, what if he had to actually create it with apparent age? What if instead of just a big gaseous ball, he had to solidify it and create apparent age so that people could live on it? And that's exactly, of course, what he did. He created Adam and Eve, not as babies, who wouldn't be able to survive, but as As adults, he created them with apparent age. I said, what if that was possible? And just in that moment, I just remember him going, okay, everything's all right. Now I'm fine. Thank you. Bye. I love Jesus a lot. And he was okay. Because doubt, when it has a chance to have someone speak into it, it no longer carries such power that keeps me in two minds and makes me have Feel like I have to be private about it. Open Door, this beautiful community, has tried to nurture and is presently nurturing a climate where we all can be given room to honestly explore questions and doubts. An unhealthy environment calls my doubt sin. Demanding me to just believe without allowing my heart to verify it. Huh. So while doubt may be normal, we want um, we want it to be temporary, and we want to attempt to always see it resolved, with nothing lingering, none, no secret back rooms here of things we're not sure. We believe or not where we're in two minds. And so, God says, here's what I do. Here's who I am to you. Even when you're afraid or out in the cold or feel I'm stuck or I've been hiding this for so long, it says Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in all things things as we are. He didn't sin. So, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. What he's saying is when you come to him, that's what you can expect. Mercy and grace and help in our time of need. Don't run away. He says, come close. I love what else it says right after that in Hebrews 5 2. He says, he can can deal gently, and he does, with the misguided and the ignorant. Because he himself is also beset with weaknesses. He knows what weakness feels like. Isn't Isn't that beautiful? Caleb and Bob Ryan have been badgering me to watch The Chosen. Uh, It's on an app for us. Stacy put it on our iPad last night, and I got to watch the first two episodes. And I, I went, that's exactly, I can't wait for Jesus to show up in the story because that's exactly who he is. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided because he's not this arrogant, puffed up one, but he knows what it is to have weakness. If you haven't seen The Chosen, um, get up from The Message now, turn, that, turn this off, and uh, no, stay with this. Stay with this through The Message, and then go see the, the Chosen. I think there's eight episodes, and they haven't done season two yet. Okay, what does this look like? What is doubt look like, and how is it resolved? How does God resolve it? What, but what does it look like with characters in Scripture, the real people who lived a real life in Scripture? In, in Matthew 28, there's this incredible story. It, yes, of course, the resurrection is there, but there's something that I, I hadn't seen. I hadn't, I'm sure I've seen it, I, but I'd forgotten it. You've got the resurrection on the Sabbath. Mary Magdalene and Mary came to the grave, A an earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended, and his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. The guards shook with fear like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Just as he said, now come and see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. What? No, he's not. We're all going to meet together here. Yeah, that's and that's true. That's going to happen. That, 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 that same event's going to happen. He's going to appear to the women, then to Peter, then to all of them, behind closed doors, later to Thomas. But the thing he really, really is interested in is getting them to Galilee. The, the angel continues on. And, and, and eventually, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Go and take the word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And then there they'll see me. You know, I preached for a long time. I went to seminary and stuff, kind of a student of the Bible. And I'd forgotten <laughs> that they went to Galilee. Why? Why did they go to Galilee? Because they're shell-shocked. And they are in the place where it all happened. The Jews at that time had a belief that the soul of the departed hovered over the tomb for several days after his or her death. That That was their prevalent thinking. And so you know the disciples had to go. Who did we see? If, they, if they're given some time with a little bit of doubt, and Jesus knows it. He says, I've got to get them out of town. I've got to get them to where they have a chance to walk for a little bit, to think for a little bit, to talk for a little bit, and to find out where they are really. And so... Um, a hundred miles it is from Jerusalem to Galilee. Hundred miles, that's like walking from here to Tucson. Probably for them three days they had to walk to Mount Arbel. And I imagine them just kicking stones and thinking, probably quiet most of the time. Some of the time saying, You saw him, right? I mean, I saw him. We actually saw him. you. Thomas, you touched him. Right? Don't even start with me. I'm not the one who denied him three times, okay? Don't just stop it. Yes, I I don't know right now what I believe. How does a man resurrect from the dead? I don't get it. And that's going on for a hundred miles. When they wake up, when they go to sleep, when they talk along the way. Conversations, because their hearts have not yet caught up to their faith. Now, now they get there and they are up on the mountain and they can look across. So much has happened here. Here's where they got called by Jesus. Here's where Peter walked on the water. Here's where the storm happened. And they can see it all and it all flashes in front of them. What happened? What do we believe? He's going to get here in a little bit. He'll be able to see right through us. And now, now, now in the distance, uh, Jesus is way off, but he's starting to come up the mountain to walking towards them. And look what it says in verse 17. 28 verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Um, but some were doubtful. Isn't that crazy? they all worshipped him when they saw him. I imagine they fell on their knees and called out who he was and lifted their hands. But some of them, while they're doing that, are doubting. That sounds crazy. But it's what they were doing in two minds. That's what doubt does. So, you ever done that I, I have in in that chair right there many times I, I am truly worshiping my God with all my heart singing out at the top of my lungs but inside I'm carrying something that i I haven't resolved yet with my God It's okay and Jesus knows it's okay and he knows exactly how to minister to it. So Matthew's account, there's a, another account in Mark, but Matthew's account addresses what God speaks, not only to the disciples, but to all of us when we are doubting. He just happens to, to have formed the answer in the middle of the Great Commission. So if you look at Matthew 28, 18 b through 20 I remember in seminary this passage we went through and dissected word by word by word he uh, waits till he's had some time to be with them. he says some other things that are recorded in, in Mark but then he looks into their eyes maybe around a campfire maybe just overlooking the Sea of Galilee And he says listen to me all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I command you and lo I'm with you I am With you, even to the end of the age. Wow. In that statement, he gives the three things that God is doing when I doubt. What I need. What I need is not even necessarily the answer to my fear or my question, I need the security of knowing his character and his person. He's good, he's powerful, he's strong, he knows me, he's in control. That's what I need to know. I'm okay, I'm okay if I can't even figure out some of the theology of what I'm battling with. I just not, I need that to not get disrupted. Look, look, look what he does. He assures us first that he is God and that he is in control. All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. I am in control of this world. Don't worry, kid. I love you more than you love you. And I will not make mistakes. I will not fail. I know what I'm doing. I'm seeing where history has to move. I know what you're going through. I know the pain. I enter it with you. And I have all authority. There's no, not somebody. And this thing's not going to wrap up right now. Because it's inconvenient. If it doesn't match up with the stuff in Revelation. We got time. All authority has been given to me by my Father. I've got this. I've got your world. I can take care of you. He assures us he's God and that he's in control. Once I have that, I'm home. Secondly, he gives us a purpose worthy of our full attention. Go. Go. I'm going to want you to go, now. I'm going to be leaving a little bit, and I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. You know what he's saying? I want your life to count. I want you to get to tell others about me. There's John Lynch's out there, age 27, who don't know me yet. And you have the privilege of getting to say wow, when you get to know him it will overwhelm you with how beautiful it is. And you get to tell him the story of your life change of what he's done to you and who he is and how he makes sense down through history and how he makes sense of their lives. That's our privilege. That is a purpose. Worthy of our full attention. It brings us back from jabbering on Facebook about trying to make sense of this thing and alienating this person, deciding who my friend's going to be over. It instead says, hey, John, come back. Here's a purpose. It hasn't changed. By the way, this, this was not just for the disciples. This is for us and everyone who comes after us this this is our commission it's beautiful and then thirdly uh, he doesn't have to it's a commission but he, he it's like he he can't help himself he says and lo i'm with you you personally for as long as this thing goes i will not leave your side i will go through every experience with you i love what he says and lo, <laughs> he says, um, just stop for a second and look at me on this one. I'm not ever going to leave you. I love you so much. You. I, I, I am now with you. Tomorrow I am with you. I have been with you. I will always be with you. For however long this thing goes, there's never a moment you're going to be left. There's never a moment as you leave from earth and that gap in from heaven. There's no gap. I'll be right there. I got you. Those three things right there bring me home. He assures us that he's God and he's in control. He gives us a purpose worthy of our full attention. He comforts us with himself. Okay, so um, practically... What are some applications I can take away? What what would I want to hope that you would get to hear that we could take away for tomorrow? One, don't stuff the dissonance. Talk to someone you trust with you about the dissonance. Talk to God about what doesn't make sense. Just talk to him. Just say, I don't get this. Get it out to where it doesn't get to play in your head. Risk to lean into the truths that you learned in the light. Enjoy again what you're commissioned to do. Don't see it as something you ought to do or should do. But this, I mean, just even watching last night on The Chosen, I go, I want to talk about my Jesus all the time. I, not in some way that we win or victory, but just get to tell the truth of his love in whatever time it takes, in how many ever times together, because I want to be their friends. I don't want to see them as an object to get Jesus. But oh, what a privilege to make those kinds of friendships. And then let him love you in his commitment to you. Receive what he says at the end there. Lo, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. The next 60 days and the 60 after it, are going to try to pit us against each other. It can leave us feeling dirty and cold and doubting. Listen, Jesus is real. He's always right and he's always good. And anything that happens bad to you, that someone's done bad to you, or even that you've done to yourself, he knows how to take it and cause it to work together for good. That's his promise. He can always be trusted. He will never fail you. He never says, oops. He's, he's, he's not like us. He's able to do what he says he's going to do. Now, now, now look, all we have believed about how God's economy works, not all of it that, that we think is true. Okay, all of us are going to walk into heaven with anywhere from 26% to 42% wrong thinking in our theology. It's just true. And the moment you walk in, you will be handed a piece of pie and a bowling ball. It's okay. God will direct us. He'll teach us. He'll mature us. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the sudden appearance of doubt. Don't dwell there. Come home. Jesus is reaching out his hand right now through this fog of noise and anger and mistrust. He's saying, come here, kid. I got you. I am with you. To the end of the age. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This table that you've created at your table, wherever you're watching this, is a throne of grace. It is a place where we get to draw near to Jesus. You know the disciples, when they walked up to Galilee, they were doubting. What were they doubting? The very thing that we are now celebrating that he died and he rose again to pay for our sins. All of them. They, 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 it was hard for them. I already had to watch him die and give up hope and now you're telling me he's back again. And he, I don't want to be fooled again. So now we declare, you and I, at the table, whatever you've got set out in front of you, that Jesus loves us, He's strong enough, he's able enough, and he did it. He, by raising from the grave, he has paid for everything that I ever have done, am doing, or ever will do. I'm free, I'm safe, I'm home.